unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And from our confined cocoons, we bring you another Retro Ramble podcast during lockdown. And this time, George and I are taking a mosey on back to 1990 and 1991 to review Teenage Mutant, is it Hero Turtles or Ninja Turtles, George? Ninja Turtles, in both, in both cases for the movie. Well, even though there were, uh, there's a lot of controversy around the naming. So... We're going back to the 90s, slightly further back than we've been to recently. We, th- we thought you, it would be better to do both films together, didn't we, George? Yes. Well, it was, it was your, your suggestion, but I think it makes sense to me that, yeah, we were going to do the, the first one because it's its 30th anniversary. May as well do the second one because... I just didn't want to have to go back and do it again. <laughs> I was going to say, w- when else are we going to cover it? Well, the third, that would be next year, the 30th anniversary of, T- of Which of no one's going to be celebrating. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going back to uh, George and I were just discussing there. A very interesting uh, year for movies was 1990. A lot of sequels. Uh, a lot of sequels. Yeah, a lot of sequels just to rattle some off. So there was uh, Predator 2, uh, Young Guns 2, Robocop 2. Die Hard uh, 2. Die, die, die Hard 2. They weren't running out of ideas. So yeah, I think this this is an important film uh, to George and I. We were very much target audience because we were kids, you know, we were kids during the, the late 80s when, when the cartoon came out. And this, sorry, the cartoon came from the comic and then the the, the film came from the, the cartoon. But George is going to go into that in a lot more detail, aren't you, George? Yeah, I think it's safe to say I was, yeah, Turtles mad. I was probably swept up by Turtles mania. And I think you obviously were a little bit older, less so, but you were still... I was prepared to watch it with you, yeah. Because, yeah, you would have been uh, 11 when this came yeah. out. Uh, again, no, still st- still target audience. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to go through, I think, just to point out, kind of like when we did Batman, which is of a similar era, and there's going to be a lot of uh, production and trivia about uh, what made the first film a reality because the second film was very much a case of let's do it again before the kids lose interest so i think this for this episode we're going to talk a lot about what made it a reality and what the film uh, means to us and then we'll probably just compare the two films and go through what we think what were our favorite parts right george and then there's the usual coulda woulda shoulda and then i think special feature towards the end anything else you want to mention before we dive in george yeah, so in terms of uh, general housekeeping, so Retro Ramble is all about uh, Charlie and I, who are brothers, looking back at the films that we grew up with, how they hold up, you know, have they aged well, you know, what made them unique. And we'll be going into these films in detail, but, you know, these are, it's a light-hearted look uh, back at these films. We're going to be going into trivia. We're going to be talking about things that we, we like and don't like. It's not a, like an overly serious appraisal if you're looking for a critical review and a thorough review. So this is very much a retrospective for us. So um, we just aim to entertain, have a bit of fun and look back at yeah, I say what made these films the way they are. 
I'm sure there are more thorough Turtles podcasts out there, but for us, this is just uh, one of many films that we're going to be looking back at. We're going to be going into uh, spoilers from the very off. Hopefully we might inspire you to go back and give them another watch or another laugh. Yeah, it's, it's very much a nostalgia thing, uh, seeing, you know, is it a fond memory or is it, oh my God, that was so bad. What was I thinking? What were we thinking? So, uh, without further ado, we are heading back to 1990. We've got um, some arcade games, we've got some CD players, some boomboxes. Some, some boosted CD players. So, yeah, we're heading back for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1. And, of course, the second one with the amazing colon, Secret of the Blues. Okay, let's hit it. Enjoy. Enjoy. The city itself will be our playground to use as we please, rewarding ourselves and punishing our enemies. We've been looking for you, Miss O'Neill. There is a new enemy, freaks of nature. Together, we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Looked like sort of a big title in a trench coat. Awesome! Turtles 2. Cowabunga! The Secret of the Ooze. Don't forget, we're turtles! So, George, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how did we get these two amazing films? What's the backstory? Because there is. There's a lot of uh, trivia behind this one. There's a lot of trivia behind this one, and it's kind of a bit like a a can of worms or a, a ball of yarn, I, I, a ball of worms. I don't know. I'm getting my metaphors mixed up, but it's one of those things that, oh yeah, you know, let's look into how the film came to be, but you can't really, a bit like um, how we recently chatted about Mortal Kombat. You can't really talk about the film without touching on the, the origins. The source the source, yeah. The source yeah. material. Exactly. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started off, um, as a joke, essentially, between uh, two aspiring comic book artists, so uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. They were living together. They were having a bit of a mess around one night, just like drawing stuff just to entertain each other late at night. And one of them, I can't remember who it was, drew, you know, what's the most ridiculous thing? And, you know, that sort of complete paradox of, you know, a a turtle that was suited up to look like a ninja, so very slow. Slow, amphibious creature yeah. into a superhero yeah. with muscles. 
And uh, they were both huge worshippers of the classic Marvel, so um, of the Jack Kirby, uh, you know, Jack Kirby and and Stanley are sort of seen as as the godfathers of the whole Marvel comics and that style, that artwork style. And they kind of took that what was very popular at the time and and parodied it. So what started off as a single sketch joke, they were like, well, hang on, there could be something here as a a one-off comic. So they self-funded their own comic book issue for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it became very successful for uh, you know for, for a, a self-published thing. People just were ate it up because it was it was funny. It was you know so ridiculous, but it was quite gritty, and it took a lot of inspiration. A main inspiration was from uh, Marvel Comics Daredevil, but also a little bit of X-Men, obviously, as well, the whole mutant aspect, uh, as well as Frank Miller's work, so uh, his stuff on Ronin. But yeah, it probably most uh, closely parodies Daredevil. So the ooze that gave the turtles power is in a roundabout way without uh, copyright infringement is the same toxic waste or radioactive waste that gives Mad- Matt Murdock his that blinds him and gives him his superpowers. The uh, turtle's mentor is obviously the lovable rat Splinter, um, which is a, a play on words or a parody of Daredevil's mentor, which is Stick, obviously a small version of Stick, Splinter. And uh, Daredevil, he fights a crime ring called, known as the Hand, whereas the turtles fight the Foot or the Foot Clan. Yeah, there's there's loads of backstory behind how it it was it was a bit similar to in a similar fashion to to He Man in terms of they they uh, they got a sort of a licensing agent approached and because the comic was really doing doing really well he was like okay um, I want to sell it as a toy and none of the toy manufacturers were interested and then this one random one uh, called Playmates, not to be confused with anything porn related. They they picked it up, but they said, we'll do it, but you need, it needs uh, a T, like, you know, this is around, you know, obviously Transformers, Mask, all those 80s Saturday morning, uh, a He-Man, uh, those, those Saturday morning cartoons were always linked to toys. So it was like, we need a cartoon to help push these toys. We need so, to have at least five minutes of cartoon before we play three minutes of adverts featuring these toys. Exactly. And we need a reason for the kids to be invested in it. And so the, um, it was actually the cartoon that uh, established a lot of the stuff that we know and love about the turtles. So whilst they were all uh, known, you know, they were all known after Renaissance artists. So, you know, Leonardo Raffaele. Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, in the comics, they all, and they all had their weapons, they all dressed the same. So they all had red bandanas in, there was, wasn't really a, a, a clear... Colour coding system. Exactly. <laughs> so there was, so the, the cartoon brought that in, the cartoon gave them more individual personalities. So like Michelangelo being the clown, Leonardo being the leader, stuff like that. Um, Donatello being the scientist. Exactly. So there was a lot of stuff that came out of that was brainstormed by the cartoon company. Uh, so it was, uh, that was headed up by Fred Wolf that took it away from from the original dark, gritty comics. But the same licensing agent was like, OK, well, the, 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 the cartoon's doing really well, bringing loads of money. It's, it's movie time. 
and so started pitching it around uh, Hollywood. And in a, sim- a similar way to, I think we were talking about with with Mortal Kombat uh, and some other films that we've touched on. Back no- to the Future. Yeah, back to, that's a, yeah, a great example. Back to the Nobody wanted to touch it because at that time, around 1987, 1988, one, there was, speaking of He-Man, there was the Masters of the Universe film, which was a massive flop, um, which... We, we keep threatening we will cover at some point. Oh, we're still uh, doing that. Um, the, but there was also, so that was the, you know, toy, you know, toy to movies flop. But there was also, if you look at direct comic book flops around that time, this is pre-Batman, even though Batman would have been in production around this time. Um, but Batman, Tim Burton's Batman mania hadn't sort of hit yet. Um, but this was just around 87. We had Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. And we also have Howard the Duck. So most major studios just didn't want to touch any comic book properties and any toy sort of spin-offs. So it was actually a Hong Kong studio uh, got involved, uh, Golden Harvest. Uh, and Golden Harvest are most probably most famous for producing Enter the Dragon. Right. The way they saw it, they was like, oh, well, hang on, it's, you know, it's Ninja Turtles. Well, yeah, we'll just get a bunch of our, our stunt guys in rubber suits. You know, it's, it's easy. So they put down um, a substantial payment, uh, like a, a budget for it, but they still needed an, an American distributor. So, again, the guys that came in to save the day for Mortal Kombat, New Line uh, Cinema, again, this was pre lord of the rings this is pre they before they were taken over by warner brothers this is back when new line cinema were pretty much known for horror films like nightmare and elm street and were quite a small studio so they actually only came in halfway through production so they'd started production without any sort of guarantee that they would get american distribution so it was a massive risk even though the cartoon was huge the toys were huge uh, in in movie land, there was a you know nobody really wanted to touch it, and New Line actually had to come in and put in extra budget because uh, most well a good I'd say at least half of the thirteen and a half million budget was going on the turtle suits, <laughs> right? Which are uh, still impressive to this day, I have to say. That's the one thing that I think got a lot of hype around the time because it, it's Jim Henson's creature shop. So, you know, obviously Jim Henson is, well, is and, and was, I mean, I, I, I assume that, the, 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 you know, it's still going with, you know, Sesame Street and, and what have you. But yeah, the, you know, the Muppets, um, Labyrinth, um, and, you know, for anything animatronics that were required, they were the, the, the bee's knees, but they had always worked on their own projects. But thankfully, I, I think it was Golden Harvest managed to get a director who had had previous experience with working with the Henson Company, and that was a guy called Steve Barron. So, George, that's not to be confused with uh, the Dreamweaver of modern times that is Steve Bannon, who worked on the Trump campaign, not that guy. So, yeah, not Steve Bannon, Steve Barron. When watching this uh, film on DVD... Uh, I had no idea who Steve Barron was. I mean, um, just on a side note, um, when was the last time you, you think you watched this? Because I don't think I've ever watched this film on DVD. Oof. No, I think that 
Uh, no, not since. Uh, I mean, we can cover that in terms of how you and I both got a, a sneak peek at this at the first film. Definitely saw the second one at the cinema. Yeah, and probably again on VHS. But then, yeah, God knows. But it's, it's funny. I think it must be one of those things that you associate with your childhood so much. You'd be like, "Oh no, that's a kids' film. I'm I'm not going to." Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it doesn't go into the the bin of classics that is Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, and all the other stuff. Et cetera, that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember firing at the DVD and going, who the hell is Steve Barron? But actually looking into it, this guy's had a really interesting uh, career. So he started off as camera assistant on uh, Superman the movie. Um, he worked on uh, Bridge Too Far. What else did he do? He he's done some other stuff. So, but then he got into like some of the other directors we talked about. He got into making music videos because obviously the eighties was, you know, the explosion MTV, of MTV. And this guy, Steve Barron, um, has an amazing CV. He worked uh, with the Jam. He worked with Human League, but he's most famous for um, making. Aha's Take On Me video, probably one of the most iconic film videos of the 80s, if not oh, ever. Oh, that amazing um, graphic with the, effect. Yeah, the with, the, with, with the drawing. And he also did Michael Jackson's uh, Billie Jean. With the light-up tiles. What a tune. Um, and to the, the, and um, another and one. And, wait, there's more um, Dire Straits Money for Nothing, which I... Oh, is that the one... Is Money for Nothing the one with the animated commuter graphics? I guess. I don't remember watching a lot of Dire Straits videos. You're just listening to Dire Straits on long car journeys. My CD player, um, courtesy of our dad. Yeah. So, yeah, he, um, I say, had very much a a music video background, but he'd actually done some work for the Henson Company for a TV series called Storyteller. So I think they're all about, based around like Greek myths and legends. And it had, as you would imagine, lots of puppets in. But he directed a few episodes of that. So he had a very good relationship with that. And I think it was kind of a play of, well, let's get Steve Barron because he's got a, a relationship with Henson. Um, he's <laughs> exactly he's worked with Muppets before and it was Steve Barron who actually won over the comic creators uh, Eastman and Laird so they were very protective of their legacy and they had a lot of say in in what was done with the, the, the source material and I would recommend we've talked about it on the podcast before the Netflix show The Toys That Made Us I've, I've watched a few episodes of it. So they, they've, they've all of one of the more recent ones they've done is on the Turtles, and there's some really great background on that. So I'd recommend if anyone's a fan of the Turtles and is liking what they're hearing in this in this episode, go and check out that episode on on Netflix, The Toys That Made Us. I can't um, imagine anybody who downloads this episode is not a fan of the Turtles. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. So um, yeah, so Baron went off, uh, went over Eastman and Laird because he came in and with the, their comic books and was like this is what how the film's going to be i want to use this scene and he was going through specific like parts in their comics and they were like good way oh, to do it get, uh, get okay. Uh, oh, okay this guy's you know genuine he's not you know a hack or whatever but he was also aware of the the cartoon series and he said listen you know we need to make a hybrid of your comic book and the cartoon that's so popular and I think 
jumping ahead, he does a brilliant job of of merging those two. Even though you know, I think we've admitted in the past we're not the biggest comic book readers, so we weren't really familiar with the comics in the first place, were we? It was more the cartoon. Well, I don't know. I think probably what, it's probably a good time to jump back, jump in with our first memories because. I feel like we're at that stage we've talked about how it came to screen and I think our discovery of turtles or at least it was the um it, it was the it was the it was the cartoon yeah and, it was exactly. the, and that that was funny and it and it had some fighting and it was just different and I think it was the fact that we loved X-Men what a fucking cartoon that was and we mm. loved Spider-Man and I think even things like the Silver Surfer, there was a few crossovers in the Marvel. There was a lot of Marvel properties that we loved and they sh- stood out more mm. so than I don't think we watched a lot of Batman or Superman cartoons when we were younger. The cartoons were Marvel and this felt very much like this. And I just remember... Well, that, that we, would have been before... this. Uh, Turtles would have been before Batman animated series. Oh yeah, way before, yeah. way before. And I just remember because we didn't have the internet, the it was very much the rumor mill. It was like James Glendinning said this, or George Feeney said that, or the guys. It, it, it was yeah. Did you know that like in the original comic book they use their weapons all the time? They kill like, people. And they kill people. They cut off arms. Like whoa, that's so cool. That was us. That that yeah. was that was George, seven or eight year old Charlie, ten, twelve year old. Mm. You know, whatever. That was that's who we were back then, and so. We were very much target audience, but that's where we were. We were kind of being taken from the animated to the what do you call it? What did Disney call their real life versions? What do you call it? what's the technical term? Live action. Live so action. we were going yeah. animated to live action, just as we were going from kids to adults or young adults. Um, so yeah, it was. We were perfect. It was. The, it was a perfect uh, coming of age transition. Well, that's it. You know. I- Turtle Mania was huge, and I remember, yeah, I say having you know the t. I think we both had the t-shirts. You know, we, we uh, I think you and George, I. I can remember being on holiday and and trying to search out a turtle. Los Tortugas you know, Ninjas. Los, that's it was one of the first Spanish phrases I know. We were on holiday somewhere on the Costa del Sol, or something. It's like Las is it Los Los Tortugas Ninjas. <laughs> was, I remember and, getting some Spanish knockoffs from from the flea market or whatever. So so many the playmates definitely hadn't really delivered their stockpile. But you know, you talked about the age I was at. I'll never forget the fact that when you got these toys, I was at the age where I was kind of too old to be playing with toys, but they looked cool. You know, they had yeah. all the samurai what? weapons. Well, I remember we, we were very, very lucky because our parents were very good friends with the head of a big department store in Newcastle, Phoenix, and he gave us like exclusive access. Like, I've got, you know, the, our turtle stock's just being arrived. Do you know, do your kids want to, do you want any? And so you and I, without, there was none of that, oh, I want Leon, they haven't got Raphael. We got the four and we got two each. So I think... I got Donatello and Michelangelo and you got Leonardo and Raphael or something like that. That so is we, exactly we, how I remember it as well. It's funny how we remember we, that. That's mine. That's yeah, mine. 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 Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think we're, we're willing to admit we were swept up by, by Turtle Mania. And because back then there were bigger delays between American releases and the rest of the world, there were, I think there was at least a six month. I think it, yeah, it was released in March uh, in the States and then wasn't released until November in the UK. So, 
Yeah. Sim- similar to Batman, so summertime, we managed to get a, a dodgy copy from, from somebody. I'm not going to name, uh, I can't even exactly remember who it was, but I remember it was pretty much in black and white. Is it oh, Doctor it was Who? Terrible. It was, it was such, a, such a bad, bad pirate. But we were and so think, eager to, to watch it, we didn't care. And can I think it did, it did what uh, the BBFC would be very happy. It put us, or, sorry, the fact, uh, the F- Federation Against Copyright Theft, they'd be very happy here that it put me off piracy copies for life because we were so excited to see this film and it was peer pressure. Yeah, let's put it on, let's put it on. It's like, there's no colour. The sound no is color. terrible. The sound was muddy, but yeah, we we um, we prop- watched it to the end. <laughs> we properly lapped it up, and the thing that we didn't sort of realize, or the thing that we were sort of boasting about, was it was the American version, which had all of the stuff uh, in it. So it had all the the violence, essentially, of all the weapons. Whereas in the UK, they cut everything, focusing on nunchucks. They cut out a lot of the violence in there because obviously in the uk quite famously they changed the cartoon name so it was teenage mutant hero turtles because they thought the word ninja might inspire children to try and become ninjas i'm not entirely sure they were worried about sausages weren't they in the second film in the second one yeah so the guy uh, the head of the bbfc again there's some great articles uh, i think there's an article um written by by Simon Brew uh, talks about the whole controversy of censorship of the turtles. But the head, essentially the head of the BBFC, had a massive issue with nunchucks or chain sticks, the very British sort of uh, terminology for them. They, he thought they were going to be, uh, you know, uh, inspiring people to to buy them on the streets and to be mugging old grannies with with nunchucks, um, and that's why Enter the Dragon for for years in the UK was the, there's a, a very brief scene in Enter the Dragon that has Bruce Lee with nunchucks that was edited out. All footage of it in Turtles, the, the film was edited out, and a scene in Turtles Two, which we'll get on when Michael Andrews is doing it with sausages, was also cut out because they still thought that. Uh, nunchucks uh, sausages could still be perceived as nunchucks so where it worked i mean we've talked about our first memories the film comes out we we see it i kind of feel like because the second film came out so quickly i don't remember a lot of rewatches you know we were saying it's been a long time since we watched this well uh, again i think this ties into what you were saying before about that sort of repeat viewing uh you know imagine our, our dad was, you know, if a film was good, he'd be quite happy to take us to see it a few times, you know, like, you know, stuff like Back to the Future, Bigfoot and the Hendersons, classic film. But I imagine with going to, to see Turtles numerous times, it's like, no, I'm not going to see that again. I'll take you to see it once and then you can wait for the video or something like that. Yeah, and also because the second film was rushed out so quickly, and you know we're just young impressionable boys. You'd be like, "So do you want? No, we don't want the we don't want that one. We're already on to the second one." Yeah, you know, we weren't of the age where like, "Oh, let's compare one and two together. Which one do you prefer?" Oh, they're quite different themes. No, we were just on to the next, to the next, to the next. Is there any? Is there much more? Um, is there anything else you want to cover off in terms of how what, these? Well, in terms change? of you, I mean, we're talking about the animatronics. I mean, the animatronics are phenomenal, and that's something that you and I have agreed on both films. Is that how how well they still stand up? 
you know um and in terms of that something that we've always talked about in terms of that practical versus cgi debate of yeah try and keep it practical wherever possible to create that believability that weight that you know emotional reaction that you get from some stuff that uncanny valley type thing so yeah the jim henson uh team do a fantastic job uh on both films but yeah in the in the first one you know it was like groundbreaking stuff that they'd never done i think it was like all radio controlled animatronics it all been linked up uh in the past you know hole in the floor type stuff but you couldn't do that when you've got guys in suits and action scenes um so i think all the animatronics for the faces were housed in the shells ironically um so they had two suits so there was one obviously <laughs> one for fighting and then one for for dialogue but um apparently they were just uh an absolute nightmare for the, the performers inside them because they had to be suited up and then they would glue the heads on um they, <laughs> just for a few weeks <laughs> well, well, that's it. they were they were filming for budget reasons they were filming in i think uh north carolina and so it was really hot as well so the guys were like losing pounds a day you know they were just sweating away um, I think they even had to build like uh, a sort of like air conditioned room for the guys to go in between takes because it was so hot. Um, but another thing that I like, I, I read on my research that they were filming near, um, I think it was an airport, Wilmington airport. And because of some of the, like the radio traffic would sometimes cause the turtles faces to go into spasms <laughs> mid scenes. <laughs> Um, he's just had a stroke, Donatello. He's just—he's gone again. He's gone again. So yeah, it was um, apparently it was a real sort of uh, trial by fire, you know, for the for the guys in the suits. Obviously, they was doing all the the martial arts and stuff, but um, yeah, they they channeled their rage into into their martial arts, um, which still holds up today. The choreography to go with the animatronics. The- the, the choreography across both films is still pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and that's it. It's, it the, the two main takeouts I got from the first film, obviously, yes, it is it is a lower budget film than you know most other sort of Hollywood blockbusters, comic book adaptations we're used to. But you can see uh, the, where the budget has gone, you know, on the turtles um, because they do look fantastic. And as you say, it's it's amazing how they can move in those suits. <laughs> um yeah. because it has got some great choreography and yeah it's got some some really decent uh it's quite gritty and great it's like, I, I really like the way it's shot you know the way certain like characters they come in how it's shot in the sewers how the shredders introduced that's a really well lit you know shot scene i mean you, you know obviously you can tell so many directors have migrated from music videos Michael Bay being one uh, into uh, film features because they get those shots of oh yeah that would look really cool yeah wandering camera over the top camera lots of dry ice <laughs> a lot of dry ice but yeah it's um, I think it's they're both very short films so the first one I think is an hour forty and the second one's even shorter um, the, the second the second one I think is an hour twenty five or an hour. You got a, or an hour 30, 32, mm. whether or not you you include vanilla ice. 
ninja rap. <laughs> That's at least 10 minutes of the film. But yeah, going back to the, the controversy of, of the, the violence and stuff like that, the, it seems like from just doing my research that a, there was a little bit of controversy behind the scenes as well in terms of what Steve Barron had in mind and what the studio had in mind. So one of the guys who was in the suits, uh, the performers, the guy that played, I think, Raphael, uh, Josh Pay was on a podcast, I Was There Too. And he claims that Steve Barron was fired near the end of production because the producers thought the film was too dark and too violent. His editor, Sally Menk, who actually has gone on to be Tarantino's editor ever since, was also uh, fired as well. And somebody took over the... So Steve Barron didn't get the final cut. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't return for the sequel. Uh, okay, well, I'm not sure if that kind of comes through. There's, there's definitely a difference in tonality Massively. Style, uh, between the two films. But you're saying that he got sat towards the end of the first film? Yes. So right. even though the first film is seen as still quite gritty and dark, so the way it's filmed, it's very gritty and grainy. And even though it's not filmed in New York or most of it's not filmed in New York it does feel very New York-y you know they've done a very good job yeah. there but yeah that I think there's there's one scene in the film where I can't remember the guys a shredder's right hand man you know the bald man with the tash tattoo tattoo where he takes out his anger and, and like beats up one of the foot foot clan yeah. I think in the original edit he kills him but then ah. in in the other edit they had to put in some ADR to say oh He's okay. He's okay. He's going to be all right as he sort of cracked off. That actually, that now, that now makes perfect sense because in watching it this time, he like beats the crap out of this guy and he says in like a massive idea, you almost killed him. And the yeah. guy looks completely dead. As, as yeah, he's like towed by like two arms. It's like completely limp. It's like, what, are you a doctor? It's like, yeah, he's going to make it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we haven't really touched on there isn't really much of of a cast in this i mean gonna say much of a plot <laughs> much, well i mean the, the the plot is yeah it's 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 fairly i think the, the plot's a lot better than um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of story in the first one to be fair. in the first one and i kind of sort of forgot about the where they retreat to the countryside to to find themselves to recover to recuperate to find themselves to do some medit group meditation, but I've one question I have is where is April getting her money from because she's got an apartment, she's yeah, got an antique store, store and she's got a country retreat, so she's doing you know obviously from from good money. Yeah, and she's just a reporter, um, but she's pretty good. Her Not, and, I like the chemistry between her and Casey Ryback. Sorry, I mean Casey Jones. <laughs> yeah, uh, Casey Jones is is great in this. So uh, he's uh, Elias Cotias, I think his his name is. He's a, uh, I think he's a Canadian actor. He's gone on. He's a, he's very much a character actor. He I don't think he's really been a lead in any films, but he's cropped up in so many films uh, with loads of big directors. So he's been in uh, Thin Red Line. He's been in Gattaca crash so he's been in a lot of dave cronenberg films let me in so yeah he's he's been in loads of films and you'll you'll sort of go oh he's one of those it's that guy yeah but yeah this was one of his first films i liked him i liked him in this and i thought yeah. she was good i thought the chemistry was good i even i could even forgive danny for just being a kid but i thought danny's dad was a bit um the police captain has just the police chief the fact that the police chief is doing these tiny little things that little police guy you know people much lower down in the ranks would do like he's calling the guy's parents you know it's like he's a caricature but i just thought the the 
the journalistic boss was lame. Oh, that whole storyline of Danny and April's boss is so lame. And it's just like, oh, God, surely, surely you could get a better actor than this. Um, <laughs> and yes, the, the angry police chief cliche is beyond growing. He, get, he comes back for the second one. Uh, guys, I'm available. <laughs> God, need work, need work. But yes, we'll just quickly scoot over to the sequel, uh, The Secret of the Use, because, yeah, essentially, 1991, you know, if you think of, you know, most films, even Bond films, that they're, they're very much planned ahead, and they still usually have, you know, even in its heyday, like, two years sort of between each one. This one was produced and released within a year of the first one coming out so it was very much fast-tracked and I think the rumors sort of behind the scene was that some people that New Line were as you said earlier on were concerned that the Turtle Mania fad was gonna was gonna fizzle out quite quickly but yes it was very much a, a reactionary film so all the stuff we've talked about the the violence the the nunchucks uh, the, that grittiness had been cut so the the comedy's dialed up loads and they i don't think they ever or i think donatello uses his staff a few times Raphael uses his size to catch some pizza but he slices he dices yeah Uh, and and it very much hues a lot closer to the cartoon yeah whereas the first one as we said you know steve barron had a vision of doing a hybrid which i think he does perfectly oh yeah well i mean basically we were just talking in terms of what you were saying about uh yeah this the second film, Secret of Views, was much more, let's, whereas the first, I feel that whereas the first film was honouring the roots of where it came from, the second film was, I, where it was currently in its Capit- future. Capitalising on it. Yeah, the cartoon. And yeah. you know, you're seeing how it was very much more like the cartoon. They actually lift a big bit of dialogue, which leads to that joke, a little too rough, uh, which is from the cartoon. I think it's actually from the feet. You know how the cartoons used to do a feature length? One? Yes, and um, we had on video, maybe at Grands. I was going to say, I think you'll find it was Betamax. Betamax, um, baby. Yeah, I think it was on Betamax, uh, but it was definitely one that we watched a lot in the cartoon. So when mm. it popped up in the film, yeah, it's that classic line of, it's all a little too quiet. Um, so yeah, it was uh, very much more comedy, but... Um, yeah, I think I'm not sure to see how much had changed in just twelve months. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, um, so uh, twelve months, or was it just twelve months between release? What was what? Would no, no. I, th- the, I, th- I think it was literally produced and released within a year of the first one coming out. No, but I mean, like, if you think about so, so it came out in the first film when the the idea for making the first film Turtles the cartoon. It was in it, wasn't it in a different place to where it was now? Um, so uh, the, I think the, the cartoon first started in 87, I think. So it would have been going for two, two and a bit years before the first so film it is, came it's out. A, it is basically just that when the first film was made, Turtles was, was, was a thing. And when the second film, by the time the second film was made, it was even it was big, massive. massive, even bigger. As a result, double the budget of the first one. So this one's 24 hours. Well, pretty much double. It's twenty-five million, and yeah, because uh, you and I, we should we should tell uh, our listeners about this. We actually watched this together remotely, didn't we? Oh yes, yeah, so sorry. Yeah, recently because of the confinement, the lockdown, hmm. uh, George and I did something that we've never technically done before. We've done it before where we've watched the film at the same time, and we've been 
uh, trying to watch the film and WhatsApp each other and we've been making notes. But I think we discovered something beautiful. We did what is known as a watch along. Watch party. A watch party. For, so we had, um, what do we do? Uh, whether it was, I'm not going to product placement, the whatever device. We did a video conference. Whilst both of us watched it, we synced it up. But obviously I was streaming it and George had the DVD. Good old physical media, me. Bloody, no, no, but no, it proved to be superior. The problem, mm. as we found out, is that whereas DVD, to get all geeky, is reading it directly, obviously streaming, there was a little bit of lag. So my patient brother, George, had to keep pressing pause to keep us in sync. But I enjoyed it. And, you know, if this lockdown only continues for another, you know, what is it, one, two, three years? Who knows? I say we keep doing it. Yeah, despite the, the lagging challenges, it was a lot of fun. Some of the most fun we had watching this was Sex Pest Pizza Boy, new character for the film Kino. Yeah, because what happened, we've got no Casey Jones in this, or Casey Ryback. Um, so so C- Casey Jones apparently, well, I don't know if this is just assumption, but he's not in it because he was too violent because right. of, of his, I beat people up with lots of sporting goods. So they decided to bring in, create the character of Kino, who is played by Ernie Reyes Jr., who was actually, who was he, Charlie? He, I want to say Raphael. He was definitely one of the turtles in the first film. He was, yeah, the stunt double for Donatello in... Oh, in do I get one point for that? Oh, sorry. This is quiz. We'll, we'll, we'll give you yeah, so we'll many Zoom quizzes. So, yes, it was one of those things that he made such an impression. The producer's like, we love you, kid. You got, you got, you got star power. People love you. Whereas... Um, I've do, Just do, learn do, these lines. Just oh, learn God. them. Um, Don't take any acting lessons. Yeah, as, as I said to you whilst we were watching it, it's like... Well, at least he has, he's a talented martial artist. Yeah, he's a very convincing martial artist. Yeah. He just can't... Guys, it's me, Kino! So annoying. Um, I read one review which referred to him as the human Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> uh, and another review that just said, he is a character that you want to repeatedly punch in the face until the film finishes. Yeah, I don't know what it was, because, yes, they, there's no... You know, there it is. It is a uh, a tried and tested, dated trope in the first film that there's this budding romance between April and Casey. That's I mean, we, we we kind of skimmed over the whole Casey Jones thing because he's, as I say, he's played uh, very well by uh, Elias Cotias, but he is a lovable douchebag. But is he homeless? Is is April kind of hitting on a bum because? He, he kind of hovers around. He doesn't have a fixed abode. He sleeps in a van. He is a he bum, lives, right? No, no he, li- he, he, he lives in uh, Central Park. And, he, <laughs> and, 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 and fights over. <laughs> I th- no, I thought he was very convincing because what he's, what he's used for in the film, he's used in very different ways. It's like romantic device or, or the other human that, pl- that is, is mm. next to uh, acting next to the turtles with April. And, but then he does some comedic moments and then back again, he's fighting. He's a kind of good guy. And he's suddenly, he's for, for some reason beholden to Raphael. Hey, he's my mate. We yeah. beat each other up in Central Park with all the other hobos. No, but you know, you know <laughs> hobo fight. <laughs> Way ahead of its time. No, yeah, so he's fizzled out and we get this guy in the second film. Who's a little bit rapey. Yeah, who's he's a little bit rapey. No, the, but the guy uh, in the second film is just like, 
I, I don't know. Is it someone? Is it someone like you know uh, for the kids to sort of like? Oh yeah, I wish I was Keno. I wish I was friends with the turtles because. But they kind of do that in the first film because isn't that who Danny is supposed to represent? All those no good punk white kids who are stealing car radios. Oh, Danny's such a punk. He is kind of like Danny's supposed to be the eyes of the audience, and I kind of get the feeling that. Uh, what's he called? Keno. Should we just call him Jar Jar? So. <laughs> Um, Mr. Binks uh, is the device in the second film. Yeah, he just seems to be, but I mean, he can fight, but he's just kind of annoying and he, yeah. He, he's, don't get the reason why can he fight? He's, ve- he's very whiny, but he is because this is a very tightly plotted. I think there's one thing we we agree on: the the, the second one really licks along the plot, doesn't it? It doesn't spend much time on exposition. It's just like. Shredder's back. The Foot are doing martial arts tryouts for reasons, and there's the use. And Shredder wants revenge. He's going to use the use. Oh, and he's created creatures. They fight the end. It, there's there's very much little ambiguity, character development. Well, the first film has all the backstory. You have this amazing thing about you know the stop moat. You get to see a rat learning fucking ninjutsu. That is true. Motion. That is true. Uh, there are some, yes, very uh, innovative flashbacks in the first one. Whereas, yeah, in this one, I think um, actually the creators, Eastman and Laird, were, they were quite sort of negative on the story for the second one. They didn't watch Shredder as the villain because they said, you know, they had, there were so many villains that they had created that they could have used. There's a whole alien extraterrestrial storyline that they wanted to explore. And apparently the secret of the use was originally going to hint at that and set it up for a third one. But um, I think it is very much that sequelitis of let's do it all over again. Let's let's it's got everyone. It's got the shredder. It's got, you know, and another reason why. So instead of beloved bebop and Rocksteady, apparently, so this was down to final say from the comic creators. They didn't want bebop and Rocksteady in the film. Um, don't want to be associated, thank you very much. Well, yeah, I, I thought it was very much that, but apparently it's, reading into it a bit more, it's down to licensing issues because... Um, would more? Or would it cost the film more money? Or well, yeah, because the um, the characters have been... Des- they've been designed by Eastman and Laird, but they, the characters themselves had kind of been fleshed out and their backstories came from the cartoon TV show. So, which so the people that worked on the cartoon TV show kind of had creative rights or, or you know authorship for, for for those reasons. Let's just make something very very similar, but legally <laughs> different enough. So, Tokar, relief, Tokar and Razor, I think it is, or Razor. Serious comic relief from the Henson Company. There can. Can I hit you with some trivia who they are both voiced by? What, who does the... Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, Frank Welker, who is the voice of many cartoons in the past. So he did the voice of Fred from Scooby-Doo, but he's also the voice of Megatron. Oh, right. Okay, that all makes sense now. So um, speaking of the cartoon, so we've got a lot of things that were from the comic, that were from the cartoon. The one character we didn't get from, from the cartoon was... Krang! Shredder, help me! Um, <laughs> so Krang actually appears in the newer Michael Bay produced ones that we'll talk about later on. But I think that was what, you know, I was talking about this alien sort of subplot that was going to be factored in to this story originally. 
or that's what uh, Eastman and Laird wanted. Uh, but they, they scrapped it quite late in the day. So I think the guy played by English thesp David Warner, you know, the guy yep. who plays the lab guy who's in Titanic, Tron, and Time Bandits, and maybe a lot of other films as well. Paying the bills here. So I think his character was originally going to be revealed to be housing an alien inside, but then they were worried that that was, yeah, a bit like... So Quaid, Quaid. But they were worried that that was going to confuse people into thinking it was Krang rather than his alien race, which are... Right. Ultrons in my notes. Ultrons. Let's call them Ultrons. Not important right now. I don't think there's very much else to say apart from Ninja Rap. Ninja. Ninja Rap. Ninja. Ninja. Ninja Rap. Ninja, ninja Rap. Yeah, Vanilla Ice. Oh I mean, God. you and I were having a field day for that. Um, all the the background artists, all the extras, the '90s fashion, lots of hats, lots of waistcoats. What they were wearing was just amazing. It was like that that film. Is it ha- uh, House Party? Or f- it, it just looked like everyone's just walked in from that, but with a much bigger budget. Everyone- you could have ads. Everything looks really fresh. Is that what they call it? Fresh? Yeah, fresh. Definitely. Um, lots of very yeah, oversized waistcoats, hats, glasses. And um, hair, hair, that are good, hair that's at triangles. Lots of shapes in the hair. Yeah. Big hair. Big yes. ideas. The, the whole sort of set piece and choreography of the ninja rap is quite something to see. I still like to pull out those moves. Well, I'm going to be doing them a lot more now. Now I've been re-inspired, but I just, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize how much of our dance choreography that we still, that we've practiced all these years is, is Sub- from the subconsciously comes from ninja rap. The, the leg grab that you and I love to, to pull out on the dance floor. Um, yeah. That's and we true. Need more- and there is this, there is a point. What I think, what I like about this film, which is slightly realistic, is like at what point would would Vanilla Ice run away? It's like when Shredder arrives, Vanilla Ice and all of the band just turn yeah. on their heels and leg it, and then it gets back to the film. But there is this so product of its time. We're just going to insert a, mu- a music video into the into the final act of the film, and it's very much reminiscent of Back to the Future, isn't it? Because there's the whole bit of oh. This this is all part of the act, and this is all part of the show. And don't call the police. And then it's they yeah they blast sh- shredder by power of subwoofer or something. So it was all yeah, stereo Death from Death. another one of Corey Feldman's. Of oh, Corey Feldman's not in the second one, is he? No, he was in rehab for this one. Right. Okay. That's he, a shame. He, but I recognised him instantly in, in this when watching the first one. I was like, oh yeah, Corey. Corey. I was like, of course he is doofus. So according to his autobiography, which is called Choreography. Oh my God, good work. A a memoir. He said, yeah, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was brought to me in the fall of 1989 when I was already pretty deep in a heroin haze. By the time of the sequel, he was in rehab and unavailable for production. Fortunately, he did get another chance to voice Donatello in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, which I don't think, even though I was target audience, I don't think even I could be bothered to see. Was this the time travel one that you and I said, are you going to see it? No. Are you going to see it? No. No. We didn't see it at the cinema. And back then, if we didn't see something at the cinema, it wasn't that, whereas later on in our lives, we would like 
Wait we're not going to see the cinema. We'll just we'll buy it on the DVD. Yeah. Back then, if we didn't see something in the cinema, we never watched the DVD. Yeah, it's apparently really random. I've I've sort of done a bit of reading on it. So yeah, they go back to feudal Japan. The suits look terrible because um, Henson's aren't involved in it anymore. So the suits look really cheap and really bad. There's some sort of romance between Michelangelo and a Japanese girl that's just a bit odd. But apparently uh, Casey Jones is back. Um, it just sounds really fucking cheese dream weird. <laughs> okay, well, I think enough for the 90s. I think we've got Jeff and Celine. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. It's time for some coulda, woulda, shoulda. So, George, who else was considered for the roles in either of these two films or the directing and well, didn't... Because you've already talked about uh, Steve uh, Barron being kind of kicked off. Yeah, so so before we get into Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, there is a, uh, a blink and you miss it in, in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of an Oscar-winning actor. Do you know who it is? I think he's, he has a few lines in it. Well, yeah, I didn't... I, it was like a blink if you, I wasn't sure because he's in the mugging scene. He's, he's one of the flats. At the beginning, he's these uh, who who mug uh, April. And it's not obviously until the end. I was like, Sam Rockwell. Doesn't dance in this film. A very, uh, uh, disappointingly. Yeah, I have a bit of a, a man crush on Sam Rockwell. And yes, he is uh, an amazing dancer. And he dances in lots of films. But yes, He's an amazing actor, yeah. So, yeah, I think he won uh, Best Supporting Actor for Three Billboards. I thought you were going to say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles there. <laughs> well, I mean, he's very sweaty uh, in it. Um, but, yes, so, so I think it was Sam Rockwell's first sort of feature film. I think wow. he was like 21 when, uh, when he did that. But Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda for the first Ninja Turtles. So, as I always or I, I say a lot on Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, take this with a pinch of salt. But apparently people considered for Casey Jones. Um, this is pretty much a who's who of leading young actors in the late 80s. Johnny Depp, Keanu Reeves, who I could see pretty good. I could see uh, Keanu. Christian Slater. Right. Lou Diamond Phillips, <laughs> Emilio Estevez, Keith... Hang on, this is just a cast of young Charlie guns. Sheen. This is just a cast <laughs> of young guns. <laughs> Jason Patrick, Alex Winter, so, uh, you know, obviously uh, Bill from uh, Bill and Ted and, um, Lost and Lost Boys and River Phoenix apparently were all considered for the role of Casey Jones um, so basically tentpole, tentpole film yeah call the usual guys yeah but um, as we noticed there's a few people that's been replaced in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. so we've got a different uh, April so uh, original actress uh, Judith Hogue I think was quite outspoken to the producers about they were working very long hours and unfair conditions and stuff. I think it was such a sort of low budget production. So they kind of swiftly got rid of her uh, and replaced her with, I think, uh, Paige Turco, I think is her name. Um, and they replaced, you You spotted her, I didn't spot They've replaced the guy who plays Shredder, even though I think he's dubbed over anyway. They also replaced musically... Um... MC Hammer with Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yes. So on, on the back of my uh, DVD blurb, I had to screenshot and send to Charlie. It, one of its uh, sort of selling points is saying features an MC Hammer soundtrack. Now, I think that's a little bit over-egging the pudding. I think there's one Hammer track that's played at the, um, the Foot Clan's, you know, arcade base in the first one, and that's it. Whereas, obviously, in the second one, we get some proper seat screen time for... Um, 
the ninja rap apparently vanilla ice wrote uh, in a hotel room using an old school drum machine and wrote it in 30 minutes i can believe that figures figures it kind of reminds me of sam smith for his um is it specter no, yeah i wrote it in no. 20 minutes it shows, it shows. um no, what I wanted to say about that in terms of... Yeah, but it, to talk about the soundtrack just a little bit, um, the first film, because it's, it's basically... It, there is a lot of Hammer, sort of late 80s rap um, sort of beats to it. But there's also... When they're training and it's the ninja, it's, it's all very blood sport, pan pipes. Do-do-do. Uh, which I kind of... I was like, yeah, I like it. You're kind of making it sound like blood sport, so you get my vote. From well, the it kind of goes with any training montage. There's, there's some pan pipes. <laughs> If you're going to chuck on the fire Skype, get Splinter. Is it fire Skype? Fire Skype with Splinter. The fire Skype scene with with Splinter, is that just Splinter's, is it like his live mind or is it like because they're meditating, it's what he told them? On the the astral plane. On the astral plane. So it's like it it was there waiting. Is it like a voicemail or is it a live feed? I completely forgot about that whole bit. I mean, it was, (laughs) it's it's totes I mean, you know. They they all get they all get they all cry and they they have a little hug and all like, of you oh, are my sons. Yeah, I know, but it's this heart to that film. It's it's well, it's kind of- I, I think that's what's missing from the second one. It's very much dial up the laughs and there's not really any heart. There's no, I say, there's no real character development. So yeah, Raphael's a bit of a. Well, they, they all seem to be interchangeable essentially. Apart from Leonardo, they all seem to be sort of clowning about. Speaking of Raphael and coulda, woulda, shoulda, would I be? Would it be fair to ask the question: Was Michael Rappaport ever considered for the role of Raphael? Well, I think he should be suing for copyright infringement of being too sounding too Rappaport-esque. Very. He definitely grew up in a different part of the New York sewers to the rest of the turtles. He is so New York. Uh, style accent. It's he's amazing. proper New York. I mean, he's a come on, guys. It's just like, yeah, aren't you guys supposed to be brothers? <laughs> Why does yeah. no one sound the same? Why does one of but, you sound like Corey Feldman? However, just to go one stage, you know, like when we watched that Hasselhoff film and we joked saying it just works on levels that we didn't realize. So maybe because Raphael goes to the films and spends more time above ground than the rest. You mean in it? Of a New York tone than the rest of them. You mean in his brilliant foolproof disguise? <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna put put on my flasher Mac and a very oversized hat, and it's just like that's clearly a turtle in a trench coat. Yeah, that's the only thing that annoyed me was the fact that I think Casey Jones's reaction should have been a bit more, you know. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Like I was gonna say, Casey Jones isn't like He's phased. He isn't phased. I think he's just a bit slow because he's just like, you, <laughs> is, is that a tattoo? Like a, a full body tattoo? Okay, Casey. No, no. You, you've, been, <laughs> you've been drinking meths again, Casey. <laughs> you need to get out of Central Park. It's like, yeah, okay. Is, is so, that coulda, woulda, shoulda? Coulda, woulda, shoulda, yeah. This is DVD. Additional features. Yeah. What are we going to do as a special feature for this one? Because it's a double uh, feature. Well, yeah, I suppose in terms of special features, we, we talk about the, I suppose, enduring legacy of, of the turtle. So I think Eastman and Laird sold off there. Again, it's, you know, I, I really do recommend people check out uh, this uh, Toys That Made Us on uh, Netflix because it, it goes into the whole situation. But I think they were bought out by Viacom 
uh, on Nickelodeon in 2009, and they sold off most of their rights. I think they retain the rights, or at least Peter Laird retains the right to still produce independently uh, the comics as a separate thing, but they own, uh, so Nickelodeon own all the the film and TV rights. And that what that once that happened, they started uh, getting in motion doing another live action film produced by Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes production company. And they got in hot water because script leaks said that it was going to be turn the turtles into aliens. They were from, does this sound familiar? They were from a, an alien race, uh, an alien world, and they were seeking refuge on, on earth. Does that sound familiar? Um, at all? Optimus Primacom. Potentially. And the shredder wasn't going to be the shredder. He was going to be Colonel Schrader. So they, wasn't going to be a Japanese man. He was going to be like an American general in a super suit who was also an alien or something like that. Um, right. And apparently it even shows in the, in the final film of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I think is 2014. So it's got one of our favorite character actors that pops up the most stuff, William Fickner, you know, the guy he's in Armageddon. He's basically the yes. bank manager, start of dark Knight. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. he's in loads of stuff. He's the Shredder. Oh, sorry. He's Eric Sachs. And then you can tell through clearly quick reshoots, they've got some Japanese man in the shadows to be, oh, no, he's actually a right-hand man for Shredder. And Shredder is a faceless sort of CGI sort of type thing. Right. That, that looks a bit like something at the the samurai thing at the end of uh, the Wolverine. Oh, okay. One of those, yeah. like a big guy, big guy with a samurai helmet and a big yeah. sword. Yeah, okay. yeah, so it's very, I mean, all the turtles are done in uh, motion capture. It's got the lovely Megan Fox doing the Megan Fox thing. She's got a backstory. Apparently, she used to, the turtles used to be a pet. It's all very convoluted and everything has to be connected. And yeah, it's just a bit, I just find it really hard to watch and stay engaged with it. It's very Michael Bay, even though it's not directed by Michael Bay. Rotate camera, give Rota- you Yeah, the sort of dub dubstep sort of, you know, bassy sort of warm crush crush. Lots of CGI explosions, quick edits. Um yeah, just not a lot of I think they try and capture the the them being teenagers and they've obviously made them look a bit more individually stylized and stuff and detailed and the turtles themselves do look good but as i say there's something different between seeing them or maybe it was just roast into glasses and that nostalgia thing of seeing the real them in suits and it feeling tangible but it just doesn't seem to work as well when they're they're done in motion capture is there splinter in it yeah, yeah, Splinter's in it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have to check this out. And didn't they make, did they make just one or was there two? No, no, the second one, Out of the Shadows, actually d- does feature, and I remember getting slightly excited about it. Well, I don't know why I was, because it, it had B- uh, Bebop and Rocksteady in it. And again... It's a it's, cross-country fire truck race. Yeah, p- pretty much. It, it, it's garbage. I mean, it's, it's like, it just doesn't seem to... It's trying to be so much sort of spectacle, it kind of loses the whole essence of what made Turtles good in the first place in terms of that gritty dark grungy a bit you know like well let's go back to daredevil a bit you know those sort of like parts of manhattan in the shadows at night and it doesn't it has to be that big spectacle of fighting on a skyscraper in daylight and 
And then the second one does the the sequel thing of let's try and bring it back to the cartoon. So it's got Krang in it. It's got Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, It's got a very bad attempt at Casey Jones by the guy who plays Arrow, uh, who I I quite like as the guy who plays Arrow, Stephen uh, Amell, I think he's called. But yeah, Casey Jones is sort of portrayed as a bungling sort of security guard wannabe cop. And it's just pretty lame. Um, so yeah, I think I think we've covered everything about the two films. As I said I really enjoyed the watch along. George and I, I think, are definitely going to do that again because, as you can imagine, we are obviously number one goal is to record these in person. Um, but this does open up the possibility of us maybe covering uh, films, doing doing some other stuff uh, to tie in with our monthly episodes, maybe give you a bit more content and. I don't know about you, George, but normally we have to set aside some time, watch the film, make notes, and then talk about it. This, I've, I've still done that this time. <laughs> I didn't make any notes. Just, 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 just enjoy. You, you, all you've got in your notes is ninja, ninja rap, just written again and again and again. Yeah, well, but, and uh, why is on a nineties drum machine? And it only took <laughs> half an hour. So. And please, God, somebody should kill Kino. Um, yeah, so- I'm, going back to Turtles 2, I'm a little bit confused at how quick um, Splinter's got hold of the newspaper that has Ninja Rappers born when they've just got back from from the Ninja Rap. But Isn't it the same day? It's, a, it's, 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 this, it's a bit like the Untouchables. It's like within within minutes. I just like the fact that, well, I mean, newspapers were of, it was the final hours of newspapers, George. It was <laughs> the 90s. So they were printing that stuff out. Like there was no tomorrow because... No tomorrow. So yeah, anything yeah. else you want to mention? To say, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think the the first one was a lot of fun to go back. I mean, I've got, you know, fond memories of watching them both, but I think the first one definitely holds up more. And yeah, so, so much stuff that we used to quote when we were kids. And yeah, for a risky, low-budget comic book adaptation, I think it does pretty well, you know, for you know job done you know set out what they attempt to do the second one is very very kiddie friendly i think what's a a good test for me is that now that we've gone back and revisited them if this you know should let's say another 10 years come around you'd only go back and watch the first one now from what i remember absolutely yeah you'd be like if you you would be doing it just for nostalgia it, it wouldn't be a case of has anybody got any video evidence of vanilla ice acting? I mean, unless yeah. that question comes up, it would be, you would only watch the first one again. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like even the lesser Superman films or the lesser Batman films, you know, like Superman 3 or even Quest for Peace, you know, we, we touched on, like I would probably watch them more often because even though they aren't great films, there's a lot of, a bigger nostalgia factor and there's more things to like about those and same with batman forever batman robin again they've, they're both a little bit cringy but the the you know you have fond memories of them and it's a key part of like. certain actors in these films like all those films you've just grabbed it off you know like yeah. you're talking about superman 3 richard Pryor, superman 4 more gene hackman batman and robin arnie you know so yeah. the those are reason enough to go back and give them a quick rewatch but yeah that's true 
That's not true. So Vanilla ice, no. <laughs> no, not, not so much. No, definitely a package you don't want to open or touch. We, are, we, we have got episode 50 coming up, which... Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be doing something a bit different. Uh, obviously, we we are brothers. We are geeky brothers, and we cover we cover a lot of what you could say very male orientated films, uh, because we're two boys, and they're the films we grew up on. However, we do have a sister. There is another. There is hope. Yes, we have an older sister, um, Sophia, and we decided to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, she as a t- typical older sister, was just getting jealous of all of this, you know, podcast fun that George and I were having. And we invited her on. And um, I'd like to think that we'd let her choose the film, but I'm thinking that we pr- pretty much said, we're doing this film. Do you want to be in on it? Is that right? Yeah. It's, you know, we've, we've done a lot of uh, blokey type films and we just fancied changing up a bit. So we've, we've gone for... What was the term we used? The, the Back to the Future of girls films. Yeah, the ba- what is what is what is the girl version of Back to the Future? Well, I think it's we Back to the Future. That. It's Back to the Future. But their second choice, our survey said, it's Dirty Dancing. Now I have the time of my life. The wonderful flowing shirts, majestic Patrick Swayze. We're back in Swayze Town. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a massive film of the 80s. So, yeah, I mean, there, there may be some listeners out there that just are interested in the, the guy-on-guy action that we cover. But, you know, for us, it's a, a key film of the 80s. It's a key film of our childhood. And, yeah, it was long overdue to get uh, our sister involved. Uh, so, yes, that will be our to a sort of a our celebratory 50th episode. And as a special extra, uh, George and I will also be doing a recent ramble on the season, on the series that you've all probably seen that we watched, um, which is The Mandalorian. So for us, all you blokey blokes, we will be doing a more recent chat about that and releasing it around a similar sort of time frame. So yes, the reason that you have uh, subscribed to Disney Plus, uh, if you hadn't watched it already, is yes, we'll be covering the Star Wars spin-off, yeah, The Mandalorian. I think that'll be some fun to talk about that. So yeah, we've got some some good content coming up. And then after that, uh, I don't know, because of these crazy days we live in, we've had to shift a lot of stuff around. I mean, we, we, were, we were planning to cover uh, Bill and Ted, uh, but I think Bill and Ted is still, um, still scheduled to be released in August, but I would imagine that's going to move. So yeah, we, we, we shall see. But no... Um... We'll keep you informed, uh, but that's what's coming up for episode 50. Stay in touch with us on all of the channels. Uh, you've got us at, obviously, our main channel, which is Retro Ramble Blog, but we know a lot of you follow us on Facebook, on our Facebook page and on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm not sure, is there anything else you want to mention, George? Uh, just the mandatory blurb of, you know, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It, uh, it does help us. It makes us more visible to more people and uh, you know or even simpler if you you like what you hear you know uh, recommend to a friend a, a pen pal a, a co-worker even though you know just do it remotely at a safe distance or a neighbor just 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 put our podcast on put it on really loudly everyone else is confined and just make them listen to it and say look if you subscribe i'll turn it off um but yes you know uh, everyone stay safe hope everyone's uh, coping with with lockdown 
keeping sane. Um, but yes, uh, you know, just just keep listening to podcasts. You'll be fine. They probably won't listen to this until they're back in the dreary commute of modern life. However, staying socially distanced from everyone. But whenever you're listening to this, we hope you're well. And uh, thank you for listening. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.